teaching text is from John 16, 4b through 15. I did not say these things to you from the beginning. I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you who ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will see me no longer. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit, spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, for this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, preach to us this morning. Convict us where we are wrong and guide us in your truth. Amen. Well, this morning we conclude our three-week field trip in the sermon that Jesus gives to his disciples in the night of his Last Supper. And though this is now my sixth sermon in the last three weeks on these three chapters from John, we've really only just barely scratched the surface of what God has entrusted to us here. In fact, I think if we had stuck with just one of the readings uh, from this sermon of Jesus for the last three weeks, that would have been more than enough to see us through. Well, our reading this morning comes near the end of the sermon, and in it we hear Jesus explaining to the disciples just how it is that their relationship with him will continue, even after he is taken away from them this very night. Now, our last two readings from this sermon also played with this theme, but today we hear Jesus describing in more detail just how it is he will be present to them and to us. 
After this evening, the normal way of experiencing Jesus will no longer be directly seeing his face or hearing his voice as they walk on the road behind him. Instead, their relationship with Jesus will now continue in the same way that ours does, through the activity of the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus here calls the Advocate and the Spirit of Truth. Well, I don't know about you, but to me, this always seemed like something of a bum deal. What I mean is it always seemed like those who actually got to experience day-to-day life with Jesus prior to his crucifixion had it better than all of us who came after. I used to daydream, maybe you did the same, I used to daydream about how amazing it would be to be able to actually listen to a sermon of Jesus from his own mouth to be able to hear the way that he spoke it, the emotion behind the words, the intensity of it, or to be able to witness uh, Jesus give bread to thousands or uh, see him restore the eyes of a blind man or perhaps even to see him raise the dead. Maybe you've had some of these thoughts as well, but Jesus seems to think it's better the other way around. Uh, Verse 7 I'm reading now. It is to your advantage, Jesus says, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. I mean, this seems kind of backwards, at least at first, although I guess when you think about it, there is some sense to it. I mean, just imagine what it would be like if Jesus had uh, just kept walking and teaching after his resurrection all the way to the present day. Uh, If you could go to the news, turn on the news and see the latest coverage of what Jesus had done that day. I mean, sure, you could hear his sermons and watch YouTube videos of his miracles. That would be pretty neat. Uh, But what do you think the odds are that you'd ever actually meet the guy? I mean, in the 30 or 40 years between Jesus's birth and crucifixion, uh, Jesus never went more than about 100 miles or so from Jerusalem, save that one uh, exile as a toddler in Egypt. Uh, So if the only way to know Jesus was to physically travel to him, I'd say your odds of having a relationship with him would be about as good as your odds of having a relationship with the Pope are today. But because Jesus goes to the Father... He relates to us and us to him through the activity of the Holy Spirit. And this allows him to be present in all places and times and actually to be with us more closely even than we are to ourselves. But how is he present? I mean, if we can no longer see or hear or feel Jesus, at least not in the way that his first disciples could, what does it even mean to say that he is present the Holy Spirit? Well, turns out it's by speaking to us. I have many things to say to you, says Jesus, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, not speaking on his own, but speaking whatever he hears. Jesus keeps on communicating to us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit communicates using words. Words, such as the written word of Scripture, or the spoken or signed words of a preacher, or the sacramental words of bread and water and wine. 
Perhaps this seems surprising that God, the Holy Spirit, should use something so common as words to speak to us creatures, but really this is nothing new. I mean, uh, throughout Scripture, in both the Old and the New Testaments, you'll find stories of God speaking through prophets and mothers, apostles and strangers, whirlwinds and silence, and even once a donkey. That story's in Numbers 22, if you don't recall it. Uh, God spoke the universe into existence and even today continues to sustain it through his powerful word. And isn't this a marvel that God, the creator of the universe and Jesus Christ, God's son, the abiding presence of God in the Holy Spirit, that God would speak to us in words which we can hear and see, taste and feel. But of course, not every spirit is the Holy Spirit. Not every word is God's word. In fact, we are swarmed with false and destructive messages every single day. Daily, we are told to put ourselves first, to take as much as we can, to hate our enemy, to build our own legacy, to prove ourselves worthy In short, that our work is what it is that brings God's favor. And so, to prepare us for this noise, Jesus has told us in this passage what sorts of things we can expect the Holy Spirit to say. Two kinds of words the Spirit will speak. First, the Spirit will prove the world wrong, Jesus says. And second, the Spirit will declare the things of Jesus. Or in other words, the law and the gospel. First, the law. That word there, which is translated as prove wrong, it's a Greek word and it has a big wide range of meanings. Uh, Some possible English translations are prove wrong, like we have in our our reading today. Uh, Reprove, convict, expose, blame, uh, reveal, among others. At the center of it is this idea of exposing sin in order to bring change. It's accusation, though accusation made in the hope of restoration. And this is what the Spirit will do in the world, Jesus tells us, using those many words, written, spoken, or otherwise, accusing the world regarding sin and uh, righteousness and judgment. About sin, Jesus says, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, Jesus says, because I am going to the Father. About judgment, Jesus says, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. Here, all things are exposed and judged, not according to the way the world judges, but according to how they relate, or not, to Jesus. In the searching of the Spirit, Sin is not determined by adding up one's evil works, but only by unbelief in Jesus. Righteousness is not reckoned by the impressiveness of one's good deeds, but only by the saving act of Jesus, who goes to the Father through cross, grave, and resurrection. And judgment is not some distant event that we still have time to prepare for, but the already present condemnation of the devil who rules this world. 
before you get too comfortable with all of this judging of them out there, let me tell you that the condemnation of this ruler is also a condemnation of those who live by his false rules. That whenever you have judged another as unworthy because of their appearances or actions, the spirit that you were following was not the Holy Spirit. That whenever you considered yourself good because of your virtue or your deeds or your possessions, the spirit you followed was not the Holy Spirit. That whenever you treated your standing with God as a matter of doing more good than bad before it's too late, the spirit that you followed was not the Holy Spirit. And if you feel the weight of that accusation, as I do, that's good. Because that means that the Holy Spirit is still speaking, even through a sinner such as me. So let's turn to that second word now to the gospel, where the Holy Spirit takes what belongs to Jesus and declares it to you, because all of this is done on your behalf. On your behalf, Jesus Christ has condemned and defeated the ruler of this world and all of his empty promises in order to make you free of them. And through his life and death, his resurrection and ascension, he has obtained a righteousness that cannot be tarnished, but abides pure and undefiled for you. And now the Holy Spirit bestows this on you through a word of promise that cannot be purchased or earned, but needs only be trusted. And here is that promise. In the name of Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. His righteousness, his life, his salvation, they now belong to you. Amen.